Okay, so good morning and welcome to everyone. Um, so uh, before we get started, let's have prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. We can all be here together and please bless me as I share a few things I've learned and help it to be a blessing to others. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so my name is Mark Chulgin and uh, our family, I live on our, I work on our family's farm in t southern middle Tennessee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Southern middle Tennessee. And so um, uh, we're going to, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about what I know. I'm not a professional, but a little bit about what I know about growing beans and grains. And this is supposed to be geared towards the home garden. I'm not sure how good I am at that, uh, how well, good a job I've done at that, but um, so, so we'll start out with uh, beans. So this is growing your own beans. So um, there are three common types of beans that we use here in the United States, I think anyway. Uh, one is dry beans. And those are the regular, you know, most of our beans. They're native to South America. We have cowpeas, which if you're familiar with black-eyed peas or um, pink-eyed purple-hole peas, southern peas, those are all cowpeas. They're native to Africa. And then soybeans, which are native to Eastern Asia. Okay, so dry beans are divided into different market classes, um, which are, you know, kind of the common pinto, navy, th that's how they're, they call them market classes, pinto, navy, black, they're all the same species. Um, so for the, with the plants, they have different, you have different plant habits. So there's bush, and then there's vines, and you also have upright, short vine, determinate and indeterminate. So de if they're determinate or indeterminate, that's basically whether or not, if a determinate bean, I'm pretty sure it's this way for dry beans, I know for sure for, for soybeans, determinate varieties, when reproductive growth begins, there's no more vegetative growth. Indeterminate vegetative growth will continue after reproductive growth begins. And bush or vine, it really doesn't matter what you pick. It just, can, it just depends what you like. So if you like, you know, if you want a bush that's going to be kind of self-supporting, that's one way. Or you can choose a vine and let it climb on something. How, how do you tell the difference between a bean and a pea? Okay, well, uh, maybe you can hold your... They want the questions... At the end, so just save your questions for the end. Thank you. Okay, and they're also the same. Uh, s green beans are also in the same species. So, okay, cow peas are. Um, they're they're the common uh, southern pea. Uh, there's many types and varieties. Some of these you may be familiar with. Um, they're the easiest one to grow. And let's see. Uh, yeah, you also have 
vining and, and more bush type of these two. Soybeans are divided by maturity groups. So soybeans are photoperiod sensitive. So that means that when the photoperiod reaches a certain length, or your day reaches a certain length, then they're going to go into reproductive growth. So uh, you have different maturity groups depending on your latitude. And your, so here, uh, here's a map. This shows what maturity group you would grow depending on where you live. Um, and you can go up or down a maturity group and still get good success. If you go to a lower group for your region, you'll get an earlier harvest. If you go to a, a later group, then you will get a later harvest. So the soil should be well drained. Um, cowpeas are less sensitive to uh, non-ideal conditions than, than the, and soybeans as well, than dry beans, they're the more se most sensitive. Um, for fertility, you should, uh, they should all be inoculated with the proper Rhizobia uh, for your lime and phosphate, potassium, those things just follow your soil recommendation. And for nitrogen, um, okay, for nitrogen, you should, soybeans and cowpeas will fix all the nitrogen they need. For fresh shell beans, you can increase the yields by adding. Um, an additional up to 40 pounds per acre or 0.9 pounds per thousand square feet of nitrogen, um, although they will give a fair yield without any additional nitrogen. Cowpeas, you should avoid soils that are uh, really rich in nitrogen or they will produce lots of vegetation and very few peas. Okay, so for, for planting, the timing, wait till after danger of frost, <coughs> plant as soon as your soil is about 65 degrees. Um, earlier is generally better, although with dry beans, we've had a problem with Mexican bean beetles. And so the way we've dealt with that is by planting later. So we've waited until late June or early July, and then the bean beetles, I guess they've come out and died, and they don't get your beans near as bad. Um, with soybeans, you need to, there's a certain time, you have to plant them long enough before the day length begins to shorten so that they can produce enough vegetation to support a good crop. So um, where we are, it's a, that date is about June 10. So if you plant before June 10, on June 10, you'll get nearly as much as you would if you plant earlier. If you go earlier, you'll get a slight yield increase, but if you go later, you'll get drastic yield losses. Where are you? So we're in Tennessee. And that date's going to vary some depending where you are in the country. Um, and also on the 
maturity group you, you choose. Uh, earlier, like a lower maturity group for your area is going to be more sensitive to being planted light than a lighter maturity group. So they should be planted about an inch, and a inch, inch to inch and a half deep. You can go a bit deeper if the ground's dry. Actually, even maybe two inches. Um, sp space them about three to four inches apart in the row and 30 to 36 inches between the rows. Cowpeas get pretty big, so they'll, they'll fill in quite well at that space. Um, and if the canopy closes, if you can have the canopy close, if you want to get optimum yields per, you know, per square foot, you want the canopy to close basically by the time they start blooming. And oh yeah, one uh, something else I'm planting is when you plant them, they should be planted. Ideally, you would plant them. Let's see, it's plant plant them after a rain rather than before rain because if it rains or if you water after they're planted the soil will crust and they will have a hard time germinating or emerging mm -hmm. also it'll help with weeds because they'll get a jump start on the weeds and if it does rain before or you end up it gets really dry and you end up needing to water before they come up make sure you keep the soil moist until they're emer fully emerged uh, we've planted beans before and you go out there in the morning and you can tell they're trying to come up but only a few of them have come through the soil it's a bit crusted and you water them and you come back maybe two hours later and 95% of them are up so uh, for weed uh, for weed control uh, you can well planting helps with that uh, watering waiting to water and then cultivate them that's the um, for disease pick a resistant variety um, dry beans are the only ones that we've really had a significant issue with disease in mainly white mold um, so and I don't know if there's any varieties that really have good resistance to white mold on them but some are going to be better than others. Um, so avoid wet period, uh, minimize your wet periods. So if you need a water, um, wait till they dry out in the morning and then as soon as they're fully dry, water them, but ideally water them so that they'll have time to dry out again before the dew falls on them in the evening. Um, and stay out of the crop when it's wet. And for pests, Mexican bean beetles have been our biggest problem on dry beans, but planting them late has pretty much completely taken care of that issue. So we just plant them later, but in plenty of time for them to mature before frost. Cow peas, we've never had any significant pest problems. Uh, sometimes they'll get some aphids on them, but usually it's not enough to be, they'll just you know they'll damage a few pods but that'll be about it. Soybeans can get different pests. Cudsy bugs is one that we have in our area now. I don't know a whole lot about it. It's generally controlled with this fungus here. 
I don't I don't know if the fungus is approved for organic though. Deer deer will get just about well that's something that deer eat our beans, so you'll probably have to fence if you have a lot of deer. And um, so for harvest, for dry bean harvest, um, there are a couple ways you can harvest them. One is to harvest them fresh before they're dry, and they're generally referred to as fresh shell beans. So you pick them when the pod is starting to get a bit leathery and the beans are pretty much almost fully mature. And then you can hand shell them or you can uh, shell them in a pea sheller and you can can or freeze them. And they take fresh harvested beans taste better than dry beans. They're, 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 that's the best way to eat them. Okay, and then uh, that's our pea sheller. I guess the sound doesn't is only on here, but it's not very <laughs> informative. So this is a Taylor pea sheller and they work really well. Um, uh, you can you can shell many many bushels of beans. These are cowpeas here, pink eye purple hole to be exact. But they work great for the pinto beans, black beans, anything like that. Okay, and if you want to let them dry, which they're easier to, you know, you don't have to have a freezer or can them that way. You can wait till most of the pods have turned yellow on the plants. Then go pull up the plants, leave them in windrows, allow them to dry completely, and then pick them up and when they're dry and you can hand thresh them some way. I don't have a lot of suggestions on hand threshing because we don't hand thresh, we use a combine. So, but of course most of you probably don't have combines. So, um, you can probably like put them in a barrel or on a tarp and when they're really dry you could walk on them or beat them with a stick. <laughs> you need to be, I heard about somebody that they would, said they would drive on them, but I would avoid that because beans are very fragile and if you damage the beans, even if it may not be obvious, then if, especially if you're saving it for seed, then when you plant the seeds the next year, you'll end up with something called bald heading, where the plants will come up and they'll make the cotyledons and then they just won't grow anymore. So you need to be gentle on the beans. So you can, when the pods are dry, they'll be brittle and the beans will, when you, you know, I mean walking on them probably wouldn't damage them. You could, something like that, that would break the pods out break the beans pods up, the beans will fall out, and you can throw the plants on your compost pile or back in the field. And uh, then, let's see there, that's our bean harvest la this last year. Uh, for cowpeas, you can fresh harvest them the same way as the dry beans, like you saw in that video, we were shelling them in the pea sheller. Um, or if you're gonna, if you want to let them dry, like for saving for seed, or you want to just have dry beans to store for the winter, wait till the pods are completely dry and the beans in the pods are dry, and then come out in the morning when there's dew on the pods. 
and harvest them when they're damp with the dew. That way, uh, cowpeas, when the, when the pods are dry, they're very prone to shattering. So if you try to pick them during the middle of the day, the beans will fall out, out of the pods. <laughs> so um, the beans will fall out of the pods. So wait till they wait till the dew is on them. Pick them when they're damp, and then allow them to dry. You know, probably on a spread them on a tarp or something to dry, and and they're very easy to hand thresh. The, the beans, the peas will just come right out. For soybeans, sometimes they're harvested fresh and cooked in the pods. Uh, or you can allow the plant to dry, the beans dry on the plant, and um, when the plants are dry, harvest the plants, and you can beat them out with a stick. Or okay, <laughs> okay. So um, also. Uh, there's a link there if you download the PowerPoint afterwards you can see a video instructing uh, it's it was done for Africans to help them with their being soybean growing and that's kind of an interesting video and of course you can harvest them with a combine you just direct combine them they're very easy to harvest that way although a combine I wouldn't say is very easy to use <laughs> okay for cleaning um, you can, after you've threshed them, you can pour them in front of a fan, or you can uh, get one of these seed cleaners. It's a, that's a Clipper number 2B seed cleaner. That's mine, and you can probably find one for about $150 on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist that will be in usable condition. Of course, they're old. They're made back in the 30s and 40s, I think. The company's still in business, but the new ones cost a lot more. Um, and you put them through there, and you get a very nice, clean product very easily. And you can still get screens for them. So ideally, if you get one, it'll come with some screens. But if it doesn't, you can buy the screens, although you won't have a hard time spending more money on screens than you spent on the cleaner. OK. Um, and shall we? I have questions. I think that's the end of, yeah, so shall we have questions now about the beans or shall I do that at the end? Could you see this slide? Yeah. Okay. The previous the previous one. Beans, oh yeah, okay, so for storage, yeah, I guess I missed that one. So for storage, your beans should be about 12% for dry beans, 10% for soybeans. Moisture, although in a home setting you aren't going to be able to test that. so. Basically, for dry beans, the beans should be brittle. Soybeans won't really get brittle because they have so much fat in them, um, but they should be very hard. Okay, so does anyone have any questions about um, beans? Yes? Yeah, so they're all in the same... So it's the same, yeah, well, you may know more about it than I do, <laughs> but um, 
if so with soybeans yeah you harvest them fresh when they're in the for the edamame you harvest them when the pods are still fresh and you cook them in the pods Back here. Okay, so he was asking about when the canopy's closed. So when the leaves of the canopy closure is when the leaves of the plants from the rows next to each other cr lap over. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you, if you buy them in plastic bags, that would be fine. My reason for putting them in paper bags is if, if you don't, since you don't know for sure how dry they are, if you put them in the paper bags, they can continue to dry in the paper if they're not quite dry enough and you're less likely to have mold. If you put them in plastic, they might be more likely to mold. Um, well, actually, this year is the first year that I've harvested a significant amount. I've planted them several times before, but the deer have uh, taken them all. <laughs> so um, I would have had a lot more, but the deer ate most of them. But um, this year, we've done a lot of fresh shell before. This year, we probably had, I'm guessing it was. It wasn't less than 100 pounds of dry beans, I'm thinking. I'm not sure. I don't know. If, I guess we didn't really weigh them. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, most productive Vulgaris variety? Okay, so my favorite dry bean, I don't know a lot of, well, I have some information. I could look it up, but uh, productivity. But um, I think my favorite bean is the cranberry beans. I really like those. Um, they're very similar to a pinto bean, but to me, they're just like an improved pinto bean. Yes? So, I don't like trellising, so I like to grow the, the self-supporting varieties, the bush or the, yeah, the upright plants that, that don't need trellising. Yeah? Do you ever get bucks in? Your beans after okay storage yeah so storage storage pests yeah um, I haven't had a problem in the beans because we usually harvest them in the fall and it's cool um, in my wheat I've had a lot of trouble so the simplest thing would be to store them below about 50 to 55 degrees and that should pretty much eliminate your problems I think below 50 for sure should Oh, so control for bean beetles. Um, we've just destroyed the crop when we had a lot of uh, bean beetles on them. And start over. Um, I suppose I haven't. I don't know if insect netting would be probably wouldn't be real practical on beans just because it would take so much. Okay, are there trap crops that are helpful for Mexican bean beetles? I don't really know. Yeah, beans. Beans. <laughs> well, <laughs> beans, yeah. I don't know if one, if one bean is going to be significantly better than the other. For us, planting late, 
we were having a lot of trouble with bean beetles. And we just started waiting till about the end of June to plant our, our beans, green beans, shell beans, whatever. And we've had almost no trouble since then. Okay, any other questions or shall we go on to the next? How would you determine when to plant them in this area? How do you determine? Um, so basically when your soil, t uh, how to determine when to plant them here? When your soil temperature is warm enough and you're past the danger of frost. Okay. Um, for soybeans, you need to grow the right maturity group and just make sure you plant early enough if you don't know when that day is when you get past the what it is is if you plant after that date whatever it's about June 10 for us for soybeans if you plant after that date the plant w won't have enough time to generate the equivalent of at least three acres worth of leaves for every acre of beans and if it hasn't reached that point, you're starting to get significant yield losses. And then it'll go into reproductive growth when it's smaller than that and you won't get very many beans. Yeah, so soy, yeah, soybeans can go, I think, I think they say down to 55, they'll germinate or something. Like, yeah, I think around where we are, people generally plant soybeans about your average last frost in the spring. Is this too hot? Okay, so are you, you're here in Texas, I suppose? Yes. Yeah, so we're in Tennessee. Our July temperatures would typically not be above the mid-90s. Um, so, and we seem to be in a slightly cooler place in Tennessee too um, than a lot of our surrounding areas. So, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Check with your extension. Yeah, um, you might. Some of our best bean crops we've had though have been ones we planted that matured just before frost, like for green beans. So I don't know how long your weather, how long before frost your weather starts cooling off, but you might be able to. Yeah. Yeah. So you might be able to do that. She said that they live at 7,000 feet, which is pretty high, and they don't have any. They have a lot less pest pest problems up there, apparently. Okay. So, yeah. So uh, he's asking about chickpeas and lentils. So I know that um, uh, chickpeas and lentils don't handle very cold winters and they don't handle hot summers either so you need to be somewhere where you have either a very mild winter then you might be able to grow them in the winter i'm not sure typically they're grown up north where they have mild summers Southern half of the United States. yeah okay i think we need to go on with our go on before we run out of time here um so this is about your own grains so basically small grains wheat oats rye barley and triticale I'll basically just talk about wheat. They're all fairly similar. Um, you have winter and spring wheat. Rye is a winter grain. Barley is usually spring, but it uh, is grown. There, there is winter barley. And then you have triticale. It's also a winter grain. So the difference between a winter and a spring grain is that a, like winter wheat requires vernalization or a period of cold temperature before it will initiate reproductive growth. The spring grains do not. Um, so that just uh, shows how you can tell the difference between some of those different ones. Um, so with wheat, you have, we have uh, some common 
different common species that most people I think are familiar with. Um, common bread wheat, which spell and club wheat, they're all in the same, they're all different subspecies of the same species. Then there's emmer and durum wheat, and also camut is also in this uh, species, uh, and einkorn wheat. Um, so there's a chart that kind of shows the history of wheat. And so with growth and development with wheat, you plant it in the fall with winter wheat. I'm basically familiar with winter wheat. That's what we can grow where we live. Our summers are too hot for spring wheat. So um, winter wheat, you plant it in the fall and it develops tillers during the fall before it gets cold. And then it will just kind of sit there during the cold part of the winter. And in the spring, usually where we are, it's late February, early March, it'll start to grow again. And that'll be right about here at, that's right here, like growth stage 30. Um, so that's, that'd be about growth stage 30. Uh, the stems start to, the leaves start to stand up and it will really start to turn green. And then you have stem elongation, it grows, it comes to the boot stage, and then heading and flowering and ripening. Okay, so what type of wheat do you want to grow? Well, that's basically determined by your climate. Um, you can, of course, you can try to push the limits and grow things otherwise. So if you're growing spring or winter wheat, um, where we live, all we can grow is winter wheat. Our summers are too hot to grow spring wheat in the spring and too cold to grow it during the winter because spring wheat will die out from cold when you start dropping below the mid-teens. Winter wheat is very hardy and you can grow it in most of the United States as long as you get enough cold. Um, spring wheat can be grown as a winter wheat farther south. It is a lot of durum wheat, which is a spring wheat, is grown in Arizona and they plant it in the fall and grow it like winter wheat. Um, hard or soft wheat. So this is generally determined by how much rain you get. Hard wheat, for hard wheat production, generally you don't want more than 30 inches of rainfall. Um, but I like hard wheat. Hard wheat's what you use for making bread. Soft wheat is for making crackers, cakes, pastries, like things like that. So I've grown hard wheat in our climate, which we get way more rain than 30 inches. We get more like twice that. But um, it'll do all right. It, the protein content will tend to be low though. So you can get good enough wheat probably to, to make your own bread. If you're interested in selling the grain, you may not be able to reach the, the quality standards for selling. It, it would be questionable. Um, okay. Okay, maybe we can save the questions for the end. Um, thank you. Okay, so uh, also for your variety, you have disease resistance, uh, maturity time, insect resistance. Where we are, the main, uh, I think the main, I think it's the main insect pest is Hessian fly. Some varieties are resistant to that. Straw strength is important. That way you're less likely to have lodging. 
and then also your grain quality, you know, what it tastes like, how good a bread it makes, things like that. Okay, with um, soil fertility, it likes rich, rich well-drained soil. Um, follow your soil test recommendations for your nutrients. For nitrogen, you want about 100 pounds. That's typically they say if your yield goal is less than 50 bushels per acre, which I think aiming higher than that, at least for a beginner gardener, would probably not be reasonable. Um, so about 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre. You apply about 30 to 40 pounds at planting. And the remaining you would apply around growth stage 30 in the spring. Now, if you're grazing it, like wheat can be grazed during the winter and then harvested in the spring. And if you're grazing it, which we have no intention to graze ours, but deer graze it very heavily. So <laughs> you need to add an additional probably 60 pounds per acre of nitrogen during December. And if you're using probably in December, that would probably depend partly where you live. Um, if you're using synthetic nitrogen, which we use mo mostly urea, we don't, uh, it, you would want to probably split that application into two separate applications. For something like chicken litter, you could just put it all on at once, I think. Um, wheat is also quite sensitive to sulfur uh, deficiency, so make sure you have plenty of sulfur. If you don't have a test, you can probably just try to put on about 30 pounds per acre. It likes uh, deep plowing, so of course you probably don't have access to all this equipment, but soft uh, soil without a hard pan is definitely beneficial. Get rid of the weeds. And when to plant. So plant at your average first frost plus or minus about a week. And there's, you know, you can, you can push it later than that, but your yield will start dropping. Um, if you live in an area with hessian fly, which we have, I don't know how widespread it is in the country, but I know in the southeast it's a problem, you want to wait till your fly-free date, which in our area is about October 15. Um, so spacing, you want about 35, seeds per square foot. Of course, you aren't going to count them out, but that would work out to about probably the size of the seed varies a lot too with different species and varieties. So probably, you know, with the average, the average is about 13,000 seeds per pound. So that would work out to about 2.7 pounds per thousand square feet. You can probably find out what the seed seed specs are for your specific variety you're interested in growing and figure out how many pounds per square feet per per acre per thousand square feet to grow you can plant it plant it about an inch to one to two inches deep depending on you know if your soil's dry you want to go a little deeper um, for weed control and I think this probably varies a lot depending on where you grow where you live but where we are at least with the weeds we have, if we get it planted on time, we get a good even stand, plenty of nitrogen for it, it pretty much outcompetes the weeds. Okay, for pest management, um, of course there's different pests in different regions. Hessian flies, a significant one in our area. You can get a resistant variety and also plant after your fly-free day if you have one. 
If you live farther south, you, you, you won't have a fly-free date. Um, so like here, I don't think you would. If it's here, I don't know if it's a problem here. Um, aphids can be a problem. I don't know of a good control for the home garden. Uh, or if that, I don't really know of a good option for it. They, they can transmit a disease called barley yellow dwarf and stunt the plants, but we've never had significant problems from them. Um, disease, these are some of the common diseases in our area. Leaf rust, um, powdery mildew, barley yellow dwarf. There's not, I don't know of good controls for organic. There may be, but probably in the home garden there's not much you're gonna do. Just make sure your plants are healthy and generally they'll probably do all right unless you get excessive rainfall. Also, I think barley yellow dwarf can be more of a problem if you plant too early. Um, one significant disease that we have that we have to deal with is scab or fusarium head blight. It gets in the wheat at bloom and infects the heads at, flo at flowering and it results in poor quality grain that will be, you can see in the picture here, it kind of discolored and it's real light, kind of chalky-like. It makes the heads get bleached looking. And it, the biggest problem with it, it generally won't, I've never had a significant issue with, with it, I guess, at all. I think it generally doesn't cause significant yield reductions, but it reduces the quality. And the biggest problem is that it produces a toxic compound in the grain. So if you think you have it, probably the best thing to do is cleaning, cleaning the grain thoroughly can, can remove enough of the toxin so that it's not a problem anymore. So if you think you have a lot of it, I would clean the grain thoroughly and send it off and have it tested to make sure it has, doesn't have an unsafe level of toxin in it. Okay, and then harvest. Um, maybe other people have better ideas than me. F wait till it's for hand harvest. You would wait till it's you know regained its characteristic color, straw color. The chlorophyll's gone, and I think you know I'm kind of guessing at this, but I think you would you need to harvest it earlier if you're going to harvest it by hand, or you'll end up with shattering. So I think probably you would want to wait till. The kernels are, I would say, at least this is where I would start. Wait till they're very hard to divide with your thumbnail, but they're not much past that stage. And then you would hand harvest it, however, I guess with a scythe or a sickle. And then allow it to dry, and then you would uh, thresh it. And you probably need to let it let it go till it's completely dry because if unless you have a way to dry it after it's threshed it needs to be dry beforehand so that would be less than 12 percent moisture and the kernels will be brittle and then you need to thresh it so we do it with a combine of course we have a combine so um i've seen some different thing i've seen online where some people made some threshing machines basically your idea with a combine, what does the threshing is the cylinder and concave right there. So if you can kind of 
make something kind of like that. I've seen where people have done it. I don't know how, how well it works. Um, that might be an option for threshing. I don't have a lot of suggestions on hand threshing grain. Um, it would be a lot of work. <laughs> um, so that on the combine there, you have the cylinder and concave. The grain is the straw with the grain is fed in. It's threshed there between the cylinder and the concave. And it goes back and it's separated on the straw walker and the chafer and sieve. Um, so for hand threshing for a small amount for home use, if you could somehow come up with something that would take the place of the cylinder and concave, that would thresh it for you, and then you could shake the grain to the bottom and put it through a seed cleaner like we had for the beans, you would just use a different screen, then maybe that would be a good option. Um, okay, and for mechanical harvest with a combine, uh, you gotta, learning to use a combine takes a little bit of practice and there's a lot, a lot of things to adjust on them and maintain. They're a pretty complicated machine, but they do save a lot of <laughs> labor. So wait till your grain is dry, unless you have a way to dry it after you harvest it. And then you just direct combine it. So that's our, that's our combine there, and our wheat. Okay, for cleaning and storage, clean it with the seed cleaner or with a fan. Um, it should be stored at about 10 to 12% moisture. The grain will be brittle and ideally keep it under 55 degrees. That will, should pretty much take care of your, your pest problems like weevils and moths and those things. And I like to store it in, of course, if you're large scale, you store it in those bins, but I like to store it in paper bags. Um, let's see. So, um, I think, yeah, any questions? Uh, I don't think I have that up, so I can't show that. Anyway, so does anyone have any questions? Yes? You had mentioned something about bug problems. What have you experienced with, with I'm the sorry? storage of grain? Oh, yeah, with storage of grain. So wheat, winter wheat is harvested in, where we live, it's harvested in June. So that's in the summer and the weather's hot. And we've had a lot of trouble with weevils, grain weevils. Um, so our solution has been, at least to this point, although we won't always have that much, it won't all fit necessarily if we grow as much as we'd like to, but to put it in our walk-in cooler. And that keeps it cool and then the insects don't bother it. Um, I've also put it, I think, I've, well, I've, I have stored some in multi-wall paper bags, sewn closed with a bag stitcher. And um, they're sewn closed with a bag stitcher and crepe tape to seal them off pretty well. And it seems like that if there's nothing in there to start with, that will pretty well keep them out. But there's a decent chance that there's a couple bugs in there, a couple weevils in there, and you'll go and open the bag and it'll just be totally destroyed. Oh, okay. You want to show? 
Okay, well, I don't know how to get it up without it showing ads. Can you do that? Okay. Yes. Okay. How much cold does winter wheat require? That varies by variety. So, um, probably you could talk to your local egg agent and they could tell you what kind of varieties to grow. If your winter low temperatures are not less than the mid-teens, mid to upper teens, your coldest weather, you can't, that, you could just grow spring wheat and plant it as a winter wheat. And if you're, if you're farther north than that, you're probably going to get plenty of cold for a winter wheat. Uh, I'm not sure who's next. Maybe you? Do you have any experience growing the ancient grains like uh, einkorn or ember? Okay, any experience with the ancient grains? Yeah, so um, I don't. I know, I, I believe einkorn and ember are both um, what they call covered wheat or wheat they don't thresh free. So that means that when you harvest them and thresh them, they're still in the hull like an oat. And then they have to be hauled with a, you need another machine or some, some other way to haul them to get the grain out. They're going to be less productive. Um, I think typically they're, well, emmer wheat I think would have, has pretty decent baking quality. I think einkorn's not as good. It, the gluten is weaker in the grains. They have actually more gluten, but it's not as strong. So it doesn't make bread as nicely. Okay, who's next? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you? Uh, are, th are there any certain techniques for storing grains in a root cellar? Because a root cellar is very moist, right? So you can have more problems. Yeah, I wouldn't store them in a root cellar. Well, yeah, that's true. A root cellar is cool, but because of the moisture, I don't think that would be a good idea. I don't have any experience, so. Okay, um, you? Yeah, okay, so you can do that. It's just more equipment. So, where, where do you grow the einkorn? In Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, now I believe einkorn is a spring wheat. Am I correct? Well, or do you, pl you know, when we first harvested, we lost a lot of seeds on the ground. It came up. Um, but did you? The, it came up in the fall and then kept coming. You know, it survived the winter. Yeah, it was great. It okay, so. Then it, <laughs> it might be, then it must, it, it, it may be a spring wheat, but it tolerates the cold then apparently. <laughs> Into a quarter till, right? Okay, uh, more questions? Yes? About how much is a combine? <laughs> um, that depends on what kind of combine you want to get. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can get an old pull type one for that might need some work for a thousand or maybe even less, depending on where you're at. If you live near an agricultural community, historic one, you can usually find dilapidated obsolete equipment for reasonable price. So it'll take maintenance. Now, if you want a nice big new one, you're talking hundreds of thousands. Um, my dad commercially harvests about 120 acres of row crops a year with a $3,000 combine that he bought. Five, ten years ago at an auction. Of course, you're not going to get a new combine that's small enough to do anything small. 
Yeah, kind of my question was along those lines, and I was, you know, ask if you had any experience with, you know, I've grown wheat, but, you know, that's when the bottleneck is harvesting it. And I know that there's a small, the only thing I've been able to find is the, the Boaz harvester, that is a small grains, you know, small scale harvesting. Um, yeah, is that some? Is that something from like Europe or China it's or something? From China, and I was wondering if you had looked into that all, or if you think that the best option for harvesting, say, 20 to 30 acres, is to try to find an old pull behind combine or have a neighbor, you know, harvest it for you. Okay. What, what you think I think, think the best option. I don't know what you think, but I think the best option for 20 or 30 acres is to get an old combine. That's. I mean, make sure it's not rusted out. You know, they tend to rust out at the bottoms of the augers and stuff, and. They've got dozens of bearings in them to wear out and belts and stuff, so you might want to take somebody with you that knows about them when you're going to buy one. Right. A pull behind, not a self-contained. Uh, self-contained is fine too. I mean, Just depends. A self-contained one. I mean, they're a complicated piece of machinery that you would probably you'd want 20 or 30 acres to make it worth your trouble, even if it was a cheap combine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, personally, I'd kind of like to get a, a self-contained one because. Uh, I could, because you could harvest in strips, you know, without running over something, if you have two different types of crops growing next to each other, but, but yeah, pull type is probably the way to go. Yes? Yeah, um, considering growing wheat at the uh, institution I'm working at, this, um, you know, I don't think it's been done for harvest before. We, we normally do it for cover crop, like lime. Uh-huh. You're from Yuchi Pines, right? No. I wouldn't plant a spring wheat. You won't. Wait till next fall and plant it in the fall. Yeah. You can try a hard wheat. Okay. Yeah, he's wondering if you could grow hard wheat. You're in a wet climate, so that's not ideal for hard wheat. I don't know what you know about that, but. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. You know, if you want to start out and you want to have a higher chance of success where you live, go with soft wheat. You can make good crackers. Okay, so it, it would be a common wheat variety. Most, yeah, those special, those ancient wheats and the specialty wheats, they're harder to grow. So if you're starting out, I recommend a common wheat variety. Um, just one I've grown several times, soft wheat, is called Saluda. It's a soft red wheat. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yes, yeah, spring grades don't do well in the south. Yes? I have lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done wheat before, so my wife has a gluten intolerance. So you run into anything that you can do that, you know, because I'm thinking about maybe sorghum or oats or something else like that. How much do you need for just the family? And can you broadcast it if you don't have a cedar? Yeah, okay, so wheat, yeah. Uh, I just broadcast mine. I don't have a planter or a drill. Um, and just, I disc it in, you can rake it in to cover it, yeah. And for uh, grains for somebody that has gluten intolerance, I don't know a lot about that. I mean, 
Sorghum, we've grown sorghum before. Um, it doesn't, I think it tastes pretty lean. <laughs> corn, corn is better than sorghum in my opinion. <laughs> Buck, yeah, buckwheat, canola. yeah buckwheat's, buckwheat's not a buckwheat's technically not a grain, yeah, yeah. but it's a grain substitute. Yes. What about millet? Okay, what about millet? Yeah, millet, millet is a hot weather grain, so you would grow that here in Texas in the summer. Finally, finally, something for Texas. Yeah, millet's grown quite a bit in Texas, I think. Yeah, sorghum. Yeah. Quinoa. Quinoa. Yeah. Yeah. Quinoa is high elevation. Amaranth is similar, and it it probably would grow here in Texas. What about it in Tennessee? But it's not actually a grain. What about amaranth in Tennessee, like in a higher elevation in Tennessee? Amaranth. It should, from what I understand, it should do fine. I mean, it's basically pigweed. I mean, it's it's very similar, except it. I understand it's not. Yeah, I understand that it won't become a weed like pigweed will. I don't know what you know about that. Okay, so um, uh, maybe we'll take one more question. Uh, okay, he's growing it. We've grown sorghum too. We mo we've mostly grown sweet sorghum, which is for syrup. We're in Tennessee. Okay, so um, it's about time we finish. Um, this is a interesting little video. It's just kind of for curiosity of. Okay, this is a picture. This is a horse-drawn combine. This is what, if you like to do it the old-fashioned way, you get yourself about 30 horses. And uh, so, <laughs> um, just for curiosity, um, I think it's about time we close. So, this is a silent video from I don't know the 20s or 30s. Wow, that's it pulls off to the side, just like a pull-type combine does on a tractor. So I think there's like. Uh, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30, there's between 20 and 30 horses there, I think, pulling that. How many men? I don't know, <laughs> it's quite a crew. <laughs> Probably something you're not going to do, we're definitely not. <laughs> if you have lots of horses, maybe you could find one, I don't know. They're probably pretty hard to come by nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the... Yeah, well, I think people still do that, but but you may know more about you probably know about more about it. But they used to have um, uh, traveling harvesters that would follow the crop har follow the harvest as it ripened and move through the country. So that could have been what this is. I don't know. This was in Washington State, actually. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. So he's saying that for storing grain, and I've thought about doing this, but I've never actually done it. He puts, uh, he puts it in a barrel and fills the barrel with CO2 and, um, and seals it. So the, he was using it from a MIG welder. The other way you could probably do it is you could put you know, a piece of dry ice. This is what a friend of mine was saying. He said, just put a chunk of dry ice in there and close it up. There's oxygen absorber packets you can seal it, seal in the buckets. To get the oxygen low enough so the insects can't survive. Okay, well, I think it's about time we finish. Anyway, I hope somebody got something out of it. And Thank you. Yeah. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.